All right. It is nine o'clock on Tuesday night. You guys know what that means. It is time for another Get Off My Lawn podcast. I am your host, John Anderson. A lot of people know me as Sand Hills or Sandy, and you guys know how I feel. You can call me anything you want to call me as long as you don't call me late to supper. So we are going to have some, I don't know if we're going to have some fun tonight. We've got, uh, I think it's going to be a great discussion uh, coming up for you, but uh, it, it could also be a very sensitive discussion, a very serious discussion. Um, and there's, there's some angles that I kind of want to get to that we don't always, that we don't always hear covered when, um, when people are having this discussion. So uh, we've got some stuff that we need to get into, of course, before we, uh, before we open that can of worms up. So first and foremost, uh, welcome everybody. If you are out there watching or listening uh, live, then we want to know that you're here. So go ahead and drop those comments either on the Facebook uh, side or on YouTube and let us know that you're out there so that we can uh, record your name and say hello at the end of the night. Um, if you uh, need to give any feedback either after the fact or um, or at any point, you go ahead and just leave a comment down below in the comments section. Uh, those work after the fact as well. Or you can send me an email, sandhillshooter at gmail.com. A um, couple things that we do like to uh, make sure everybody is aware of. Uh, every night that we do this, we are now part of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Very proud to have been invited to join that group of great podcasts. I still feel like I'm a, uh, a little ant among giants whenever I look at that lineup because there's some really, really good podcasts. You need to get over there, go to sdrn.us, or if it's easier to remember, uh, Self-Defense what is it? Self, I can't even remember it. Self-defenseradio.net, I think is what it is, but I can remember SDRN.us. And that's why I put that one on the screen. It's the easiest one to, uh, to get there. Uh, go check out podcasts like the polite society podcast or writing shotgun with Charlie, um, gun freedom radio. There's so many great ones that, uh, um, that, that just do some really cool stuff. So you can, you can, it's kind of like one-stop shopping. If you want to learn about, um, gun pro gun podcasts or pro two a podcast. So go check those out. Um, if you are, let me get this off the screen for a second. If you're checking out the cool shirt, and you want to know where you can get something cool like this, then we've got the whole lineup over at blackswantactical.com. Uh, our buddy Crumpy was was cool enough to set us up a, a whole lineup of t-shirts and hats and everything else. On the back of it, has it has the green ribbon. Uh, it says, Sound Hill Sweetheart. And uh, her fight is my fight. You can also get one that says, Not Today Cancer. Um, it is, uh, just helps bring a little awareness to, uh, to the fight that my wife is going through with her non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, so, uh, we've got some details that we will be, uh, once everything's kind of more nailed down in concrete, we'll be, um, releasing some more details here on the channel about in, in the Facebook page about what's going on there. But, uh, um, all the news so far is good news. It's just, there is some, some news and, uh, we're just not gonna, it's, it's going to take too much of, of people's time tonight to really get into it. So um, we'll just throw that into a, into a standalone video. And then um, if you or somebody that you know would rather catch these on audio and you don't have time to watch or you just want to download them and listen to them at your convenience, go to anchor.fm slash sandhills dash shooter. Uh, anchor.fm slash sandhills dash shooter. 
and you can uh, find us there. You really, you can find us just about anywhere. Podcasts can be found. Either search "Get Off My Lawn" podcast or "Sandhill Shooter," or put it all into one search so that you can find us. But Apple, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Stitcher—they're all on there. Um, so, uh, so go go check us out wherever podcasts can be found and uh if you're if you're doing it on apple i found out that you can give five star ratings and we're 100 percent. we're two for two right now so uh go be number three for me would you um all right we've got some cool people that we are going to uh that we're going to bring in here and and say hello to so real quick we've got a couple of our usual suspects and we are going to bring these guys onto the screen here first um coming to us from the capital city of nebraska beautiful sunny although it's not sunny um it was sunny today i bet though lincoln we've got defense dad how are we doing sir not too bad it was kind of sunny but windy and but we got out to the range today and had some fun good deal i did watch that video you guys have to go check that out when this is over over on defense dad's youtube channel he's uh He's he's whipping up on little children and trying to embarrass them. It's the only way he can feel good about his shooting skills. <laughs> Never mind the fact that he beat me up once on the, on the range too. So uh, next up, coming to us also from the great state of Nebraska, um, we've got uh, Pat coming from South Central Nebraska. How are we doing, sir? I'm doing great tonight, sir. Thanks for having me on. You betcha. And you've got a couple videos up that I have not gotten time to watch yet. Uh, looks like you've posted a few more. Uh, what is it? The Ruger Max 9? Is that what it is? Yes, the uh, Ruger Max 9 and the new Smith & Wesson Shield 9 Plus. Oh, so, that I have not seen yet. So, so cool. yeah. So, I, I'll do the shameless plugging at the end. <laughs> sure. Yep. We'll, uh, we'll do that, and I'll be sure and, and go watch those uh, first chance I get, too. We'll see maybe, maybe yet tonight. So... Okay, before we bring in our next two panelists, I do just want to mention that we are coming live tonight on both YouTube and Facebook. Uh, thanks to John Petrolino and his book, Decoding Firearms, uh, an easy-to-read guide. Um, let me get it up here. There it is. An easy-to-read guide on general gun safety and use. Um, Decoding Firearms is a comprehensive guide to aid new shooters and veterans alike to get up to speed on the safe use of guns. With over 115 illustrations and 266 pages of content, this book is very comprehensive. If you're interested in learning more about Decoding Firearms, you can visit johnpetrolino.com slash decoding-firearms. Decoding Firearms is available for sale on Amazon as a paperback or a full-color Kindle version. Uh, be sure to pick it up, uh, pick up a few copies for your friends and family members that want to get into the shooting world. I know Pat has done that and given out a few copies. Um, the, the, the cost of this book is not prohibitive to make it a gift and it's a great gift for anybody who is, uh, uh, thinking about getting into shooting or is just getting into shooting. And I tell you what, I've been shooting a long time. Um, but I still learned a few things when I read this book too. Uh, and, and it was a great refresher. So go check it out. Get your copy today, Decoding Firearms, an easy-to-read guide on general gun safety and use. And thank you, John Petrolino, for uh, for your generosity, helping to bring us live on multiple platforms so people can find us. Okay, cool. Um, we're just going to get into it because I don't know how late we're going to go tonight. Um, but uh, there's a lot of stuff that we kind of want to cover. So real quick here, we're going to introduce our next two 
panelists. Um, the first face that you're going to see here is somebody that you guys, if you've been watching a long time, you've seen him in the past, although we have not uh, invited him to join us for a while. But we've got Mike Sodini joining us. How are we doing tonight, sir? I think you might be muted. There you there go. You go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't do this anymore. Okay. Uh, good to see everybody. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. All right. And then also joining us is Jake Wiskirchen. What is up, fellas? Thanks for having me. And uh, yes, Mike and I did get the same memo about our backdrops before anybody else. I was almost to ask if you guys were in like just opposite corners of the same room there, but I wish I wish I enjoy his company. I don't know if I enjoy it that much. Yeah. Well, I don't really blame you. I get it. <laughs> All right. So Mike and Jake are both joining us uh, on behalf of walk the talk America tonight. Um, we've discussed walk the talk America on more than one occasion. If you watch very many of the videos and I move my arm around, you can usually see the bracelet because I wear this almost every day. Um, Yep, and it's it's just a great way to uh, to promote, um, start a conversation maybe. If anybody needs one of these bracelets, I tell you what, go to WTTA.org and uh, for just a very small uh, gift of your generosity, uh, you're going to get a bracelet. And if, if it's a little bit bigger gift, you're going to get a cool pin. I've got one. It's right here. You're going to get a cool pin too that you can put on whatever you want to put it on there. So, so go check those out, um, but do it later we're going to talk about some stuff right now and i don't want you guys leaving or being distracted um so here's kind of what i want to get this discussion rolling because every time that we have another um mass murder somewhere in the u.s and the the murder weapon of choice is a firearm um here's what happens we all know if we're honest, we all know that there's going to be a knee-jerk reaction, right? I mean, as soon as this happens, I mean, we can almost hear it um, almost immediately um, what the reaction is going to be. I'm not talking about the knee-jerk reaction from the left, though. I'm actually talking about the knee-jerk reaction from the right because sometimes we haven't even gotten blamed for the latest set of murders before people on our side of the spectrum are already saying trying to get out ahead of it right hey don't blame the gun um, because that's what the left always wants to do they want to blame the gun they want to say you know if we didn't have these weapons of mass destruction available to anybody um, then you know if the evil gun dealers didn't push you know pedal these things at gun shows with no background checks at all which I heard is something that got said today and it's a outright lie. Um, but the person that said it knows that too. Um, if it wasn't for all this, right, then, then we, we would never have murders. So we all know that's crap, but here's the other thing that happens. We've got the, the knee jerk reaction on our side and it's now it we've become so conditioned. And I say, we, as a generalization, just the, the pro gun side um, at large here is that, we want to say, don't blame the gun. We don't have a gun problem in the United States. We have a mental health problem. And everybody wants to, to put the, the whole burden on, on mental health. And now this is where it gets to be kind of a fine line. And some of this may be semantics because 
words do matter. And, you know, if you guys know me, you know, I'm always up for some antics. So, um, but here's the thing is, yeah, you do have to be uh, somewhat mentally defective in order to think that it's a good idea to take a firearm and go shoot a whole bunch of people, whether it's indiscriminately or if you've got people that you have in mind that you want to target, it doesn't matter. The fact is that, yeah, nobody with their wits about them, nobody in their right mind does that. Okay, that's true. We know that. But I think that when we try to oversimplify things just by saying we don't have a gun problem, the entire problem with everything in this country is mental health, and we need to fix that, we're creating a whole different stigma in a whole lot of minds that a lot of people don't even realize is happening. Um, and so that's why I've got Mike and Jake with us tonight, because you guys, I think, probably see this way more uh, than than the average person does. And, and you see it either firsthand um, with people that you deal with, or you're seeing it possibly secondhand with people who are who are dealing with um, with individuals who are suffering from from some sort of of mental health disorder, whatever that could be. Now, when I say mental health disorder, I just want to put this out here. That does not necessarily mean that somebody's crazy. Okay. It doesn't mean that somebody is a ticking time bomb and that they're, you know, one bad day away from uh, grabbing their firearm and going out and committing murder. That's not it at all. And that's the problem because that's the picture that we paint when we try to shift the blame and the focus off of firearms over onto mental health then all of a sudden anybody who's fighting with any kind of of issue when it comes to mental health now we're basically trying to paint all of those folks as a potential criminal and we hate being painted as a potential criminal because we own a firearm so i really don't want to paint anybody as a potential criminal just because they're fighting with stuff and it, they're having a hard time dealing with it um, and maybe maybe they're dealing with stuff that the average person doesn't deal with or or they just have a harder time dealing with stuff than the average person does. You know, there's there's a lot of things out there. PTSD is only one of them um, that people are fighting with. Um, but we know that's a big one. So the first question I want to have uh, or want to ask um, and Mike, Jake, I guess you guys can I won't call on you individually. We'll just um, I'm sure you guys won't, won't really step on each other here, but um, what are you guys seeing um, with your work through through Walk the Talk America? And Jake, I understand that you are a, an actual clinician, if that's if that's the right term. Um, so I guess I will call on you individually because Jake, we'll just give you a chance to kind of explain a little bit more who you are and, and what you do. And then I want to know what you're seeing um, as far as potentially causing another set of problems where um, blaming mental health is making people not seek help because they don't want to give up their guns. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, I'll take it in reverse order, I guess, that okay. your question is that we're not potentially seeing it. We're already seeing it, and it's been around for a long time. And and the problem or series of problems that we have is predicated on people's fear to come in to get treatment, right? So, um, you know, that was the, the second question in there, which was, 
you know, what, what are we seeing? I'm saying fear. I'm saying, I'm saying an apprehension to go get oneself taken care of now, uh, to complete the reverse order. Who am I and, and what do I do? Uh, in Nevada, where I reside, I'm a licensed as a marriage and family therapist, and that is not a narrow term for my, my professional title. When you're licensed as a marriage and family therapist, you do it all. And uh, our scope of practice under the law is to treat virtually anything that walks through the door uh, as long as we're competent to do so. So uh, there's certain things that I, I won't do because I haven't had adequate training, like um, you know, degenerative cognitive disorders, for example, like Alzheimer's and other dementias. I, I just haven't had training in that. I would probably seek a referral to somewhere else. But um, <clears throat> but the idea is that I don't just do marriages and I don't just do families. I do individuals and I do drug and alcohol and I can treat psychosis and all sorts of things. So I think what's important for the listening audience is that um, I've, I've been kind of doing this, this thing for a while now with Mike where I, I've done enough that I know that even in my realm, it seems like mental health care has become more popular and people are getting a little more hip to it. What I, what I've learned is that way too many people just have no idea what we do. So if you, if you don't mind, I'll take a few minutes and explain kind of what, what no, please do. Is and, and some of the various uh, uh, names and titles you might hear out there and what they do and, and so forth. So uh, all the terms you used are are completely correct. Uh, there's there there's a lot of them that are interchangeable. Some people uh, like to you know push put themselves up as the language police and say that uh, you're not allowed to use certain terminology. Uh, some people have said that clinicians should be rever reserved for uh, the physicians in the medical field. Some people say that uh, we should refer to our are people who we treat as clients and not patients. And, and for me, it, it, it just doesn't matter. Psychotherapy is counseling, is therapy, is talk therapy, is whatever. So anytime you're getting something treated that's not of the medical variety and it has to do with your psychological, emotional well-being, we'll just call it counseling. So you'll hear me use these terms interchangeably. And, and that's because I'm, I'm not interested in pinning somebody down and proving them that the definition they use is not my definition. That's not, it's not relevant and it's not useful. So, uh, just think of the traditional, you know, uh, stereotypical office setting. Uh, I could show you my office where I am. It's got a couple of couches and a chair and, and we sit and we talk to each other, right? Well, that's one of many forms it could take. Um, we do in-home work too. Sometimes we'll do we'll do walks around the the, the block with people. Uh, we work with children in a, in a play setting. You know, as young as sometimes three years old, uh, all the way up to uh, people in their nineties who are you know struggling with whatever they're struggling with. Certainly, couples, premarital, uh, in marriage. Uh, family systems. I, I myself just get finished a day here uh, in Nevada where I, I work about 90 miles away from Reno where I live in schools. So I work in a school setting where often I don't get to access the parents because they're just too busy. And that's why we do that service is because without us, the kids wouldn't get any care at all. So um, marriage and family therapist, which is my title, is one of uh, a series of people who do what I do, <clears throat> loosely speaking. Uh, you might also hear social worker and social workers have different stripes within them. Clinical social workers, typically the one that does the talk therapy and they often can bill insurance, that kind of thing. You'll also hear counselor, professional counselor. Usually it's uh, an acronym like LPC. It'd be licensed professional counselor. Uh, you might also hear drug and alcohol counselor. Drug and alcohol can include all sorts of addictions, not just the chemical kind, which are, you know, ingesting something into your body, but also the what we would call the process addictions of things like uh, pornography and video games and 
ho hobbies that you you're doing too much that you don't want to do anymore. And that might also include gambling, too. So uh, gambling counselors are uh, often their their own stripe. And then we have psychologists. Psychologists uh, possess a doctoral degree. So mine's a master's degree. It's a uh, three years typically with a uh, uh, somewhere between three and 600 hours, sometimes up to a thousand hours of contact before you graduate. And then you go through an internship, which is another two to 3000 hours before you're uh, fully licensed and blessed to uh, move on on your own. Psychologists tend to go through a doctoral program where they do research and then they come out. And oftentimes in, in most states that I know of, I think all 50 actually, the psychologists are specifically allowed by law to do what's called psychometric testing. So they can issue a battery of tests to you or your child or what have you in order to ascertain where their deficiencies are. And that can be anywhere from cognitive tests all the way to um, you know behavioral assessments. So that's kind of the, the, the broad overview. Now, what does treatment look like? Treatment looks like you're struggling with something, and you can't really put your finger on it, and medical science hasn't given you an answer. That's usually how people end up in our office. So uh, it ranges from my kid can't sit still in school to, um, geez, I got in trouble with law with my fourth DUI, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to jail if I don't fix something. And uh, people find their way into our office for all sorts of reasons that they just, they just want to help get resolution with. What ends up happening, and this is where it gets a little dicey and where we get into some of the stigmatization of what happens in our field. It would be great if, uh, like every other profession under the medical umbrella, and I, I will plant us firmly under the medical umbrella, it would be great if we had preventative care in behavioral health. We don't. So that's another term you might hear, behavioral health, mental health. Um, it's, it's all the same. So we don't have the uh, two to three to four times a year, pop the hood, check the belts and hoses, make sure everything's running well appointments that we can go to like you do you get in dentistry or pediatrics or optometry or, or uh, primary care in our field and i hope this changes soon um in order to get reimbursed from insurance i have to render a diagnosis upon you now i'm going to hold up a book it's not the book i should have grabbed a, an actual prop this is called the behavioral science of firearms and we'll talk about this more in the show but but our book that we use is called the diagnostic and nice mike it's the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders it's about as thick though and that's why i why i picked this book uh several hundred pages long and in the D dsm is the acronym in the dsm it tells us everything we need to know about how to render a diagnosis to a person. You have to hit certain criteria. They have to be within a period of time. So if you're, for example, if you're struggling with what you think is depression, you might come in, I'll do my interview with you. It'll take some time and I'll pull from that interview um, to see if you meet criteria for one or more of the many diagnoses that we have. Those diagnoses all have a code. Uh, depression has a code. And that code goes on a piece of paper called a claim. The claim goes to insurance. Insurance says, yes, you're treating someone. We will reimburse you for your service. Uh, that's no different from anywhere else in the medical field. If you have a, a broken arm or a spotty liver or, you know, you got a chipped tooth, somebody sends off a claim to insurance. Insurance says, yep, you're doing the right thing within your scope of practice. Here's some money for fixing the, the, the problem. In our field, because we have to render this diagnosis before we can issue you any care, uh, if we want to get paid, that is. It's, a, it's really off-putting because people don't want to consider themselves broken if they're just coming in for what they think is a standard tune-up. So if you're, you know, maybe you're fighting with your wife because uh, there's some stress in the marriage or whatever. Um, unfortunately, I have to render a diagnosis and that diagnosis goes off to the insurance company and that's where things get a little hazy. Now, insurance companies are supposed to be protecting your confidential information the same way I do. I should not be sending that to anybody without your permission. 
the problem is people don't believe that anymore. And there's reasons for that. It's because we're passing laws uh, that require things like, um, I heard in Washington state, they did this. Uh, you, you have to check a box for an attestation that says, I hereby waive my right for uh, confidentiality for my medical records when purchasing a firearm. Uh, because, you know, if you have any time ever, you know, been treated for something, they might deem you dangerous or unworthy or something. And, and that sends a signal to the population that says, you better not go get treated because we'll find out and bad things will happen to your rights down the road. Now, that's just one issue. Another issue that accompanies that same vein is the idea that gets communicated that if you've ever been treated in the past, you're now permanently defective, which couldn't be further from the truth. And I take serious umbrage at that because in my field, like any other medical field, we operate with the presumption that you're going to heal at some point. Uh, you didn't, I mean, barring any sort of cognitive deficiency or, you know, brain structural problem, you didn't emerge from the womb broken. So therefore, if you emerged whole, pure, intact, you know, soul, the way that God intended, um, something along the way diverted you. It could have been chemicals. It could have been a traumatic brain injury. It could have been just environmental stuff in your childhood full of turbulence that, that created whatever problem you're, you're facing. Well, that means that's, that's hopeful. That gives a lot of hope. That means we can get it undone. We can unwind that stuff and, and teach you some new habits and some new functioning and some new communication skills so that you're no longer struggling with the anxiety, the depression, the PTSD, the bipolar disorder, whatever it is that you're dealing with. And once you're done treating, you're done. You're good. Go walk and live free in your life. And that's part of my job as a clinician is to teach you the same skill set that I learned in graduate school and over my many thousands of hours of practice so that you can go live a functional life on your own and you don't need to create a dependence upon me. There should be no such thing as counseling in perpetuity. I don't need you on my calendar every week at you know Tuesday at 4 p.m. or whatever. Um, it's nice for my pocketbook. It's not great for you. And it's highly unethical. And, and if you find yourself in that situation, you're like, I've been going to my counsel for eight years and no change. Well, that's a problem. So um, that's basically the overview. Counseling should be time limited. You should see progress. You should progress to such a degree that you stop going to counseling, just like any other therapy, physical therapy, um, you know, or, or any of anything else, at which point you go, hey, I'm good. I'm healed. I'm, I'm ready to live my life. I don't need to go to my, my counselor anymore. And, uh, and that's to be celebrated and is not to be held in a repository somewhere for, you know, the government or anybody else to go pawing through should they decide that they, that you're, um, somehow deficient. And, and that branches into things like jobs too, right? So what we've seen since we've uh, been pushing this, this stuff through Walk the Talk America is that it's not just gun owners who are afraid to come in and get some, some therapy. It's police officers who happen to own guns. It's first responders like firefighters and EMTs. It's emergency medicine physicians. It's attorneys, it's plumbers and pipe fitters, it's carpenters. It's a whole bunch of people who in the workspace they get judged condescendingly if they ever go seek help for anything because help is deemed as weakness, weakness is deemed to be bad and we don't wanna be seen as bad, so we just don't get help. And then unfortunately, a lot of people end up taking their own lives because they bottle this stuff up, it doesn't have anywhere to go and that's worse. So we're trying to prevent worse uh, by by opening up and offering the opportunity to somebody, somebody to come in without fear of, of retaliation or judgment or stigma and just come in and say, hey man, you're, you're safe with me. Tell me what you need to tell me and we'll help get through it. And, um, you know, with, except for certain exceptions, uh, you know, suspected child abuse and, and so forth. Uh, everything you tell me is it's 
in this room and it doesn't go anywhere. So I've just said a lot. I know it's like drinking out of a fire hose whenever I talk. So I'm going to pause there. And <laughs> if you guys have follow up questions or there's stuff in the chat, go ahead and uh, shout it out. Um, I've seen one question and it doesn't um, necessarily apply to tonight's topic, but it does apply to what you were, were mentioning just with kind of the, the, uh, the backstory here uh, Two live move wants to know your thoughts on virtual visits in your field. Oh man, what a great question. Thank you. What a great uh, game. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many jokes running through my head right now. <laughs> right? Yes, we do. We love him a long time. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, I was thinking big, big uttered cows, hump with it. Oh, so anyway, <laughs> a lot of milk. Uh, I love teletherapy. Um, but it comes with an asterisk. If you could not hear that in my voice, there's an asterisk on there. Uh, one of the things that I saw very early on in this pandemic was, was there was going to be a silver lining for my profession because it was going to compel us to get competent at that medium because forever we danced around it and pretended it was something of the occult and you know technology is not to be trusted. Well, now we didn't have a, we don't have a choice, right? So what it's done is it's opened up a lot of care access to a lot of people from you know geographical distance who can't get here to illness, obviously, inclement weather, running late from work, can't pick the kid up and be on time. Our cancellation rate really plummeted. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. We do have a lot of empirical studies and research that suggests that teletherapy is as effective, if not more so in some cases, because there's some people who just can't get out, uh, don't want to get out, whatever, is as effective as in-person face-to-face stuff. So, so that, I, I love it. However, it has opened up uh, the floodgates for a lot of, um, I think, well-intentioned people to do it poorly but also some ill-intentioned people to play the role of charlatan and do what I would refer to as therapy light. So I just mentioned a whole bunch of stuff about the backstory of my field and why, you know, why we should take this seriously. And what has taken the place of good, serious therapy is sort of this touch and go stuff, which is not ineffective, um, but I worry that it's treating symptoms and not problems. And that's a, that's a big issue for me. So I'm, I'm not, if you walk into my office, for example, and you say, I, you know, I got a problem with uh, playing softball too many nights a week and it's causing, you know, friction in my family, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about that, but it ain't about the softball because right. as soon as we get you not playing softball, you'll substitute that with something else. And, and so I see this all the time when you get people, get somebody to get, get off the alcohol and uh, okay, your alcohol dependence went away, but now you got an anxiety disorder, get rid of the anxiety, depression pops up, get rid of the depression, now you're smoking cigarettes. So like, instead of playing therapeutic whack-a-mole, I would want to know what it is that's forcing you to get out of the house and avoid your family every night of the week. And unfortunately that doesn't come with a diagnosis and it doesn't come with a code. Um, so I have to render a diagnostic code. <laughs> it says, you know, softball addiction or whatever, but really the conversation is going to be about avoidance, right? That's the problem. The symptom is the, the leaving the house to play softball seven nights a week. Sure. Um, so, and I think I think that a lot of these um, the the companies that have opened up and made a gazillion dollars to uh, you know hire Michael Phelps as their spokesperson, I think that they are doing symptom treatment, which feels great, but it doesn't solve the problem. Yeah, and I'm, I have no psychological training background, anything like that. But even I know that the problem is never the problem. Right. I mean, and that's something that as Second Amendment advocates, I mean, even when we have these discussions, very rarely is the problem that is stated in the opening statement, the actual 
problem even from from people who are anti-gun or or anti you know fill in the blank whatever it is so yeah the, i definitely hear what you're saying there so um one more thing and this just bear with me because this is kind of a kind of it's a it's a two message question here uh from seven wonders um he says what bothers him is that there are millions of American gun owners with mild depression or anxiety who are, who are on SSRIs. The vast majority of these folks are not a threat to anyone, yet he keeps seeing folks mention SSRIs as if they're in the same category as antipsychotics. And he would like to know your opinion on this. And for uh, anybody who's listening or watching that's not sure what SSRI means, would you just fill in the blank there for us too? Yeah. So the, the first qualifier I have to issue is that I am not a medical doctor. So I don't, I'm not a prescriber. I don't prescribe medication. I do read a lot about psychotropic medicine and I'm reasonably competent to know what is working and what's not in somebody. Uh, so SSRI is called a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And what it does is it, so when your brain, um, pulses. So I have a whole lecture on emotional functioning. There's a bunch of videos on it. You can see on the Zephyr YouTube, YouTube channel and uh, the WTTA website as well. But um, in the brain, so we have a bunch of chemicals. One of them is serotonin. Serotonin generally elevates our mood. Um, and what SSRIs do is they, um, they inhibit the reuptake of the serotonin. So think of your brain like a, a sponge. Uh, anybody who smokes cigars has a humidor, you know that you, know, you have to keep rehydrating the humidor. Brain's kind of the same way. So like uh, we have our limbic system, we got some glands in there, they'll excrete this this chemical, we got a bunch of chemicals, uh, cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, epinephrine. Serotonin's one of those. Serotonin, when it excretes, it gets reuptook, re and then so it can get excreted again, and and it helps to uh, establish a good mood essentially. So what the SSRIs do is they they keep the serotonin from going back in to the brain, and it keeps the brain happy. Essentially, you you get a you get a better mood out of it. Um, that's that's their function. So you're literally altering your own brain chemistry. And I will pause here to say that you can alter your own brain chemistry simply by shifting your attention to something that you enjoy. So if you shift your attention to something that's very sad you're going to have sad chemicals flowing through your brain. If you shift your attention to something stressful, guess what else is going to happen? So uh, just know that you don't necessarily need uh, chemical intake to change brain chemistry. You need to practice where you focus your, your attention. So um, it is possible. I'm not saying that SSRIs are bad at all. I think they're great. And if you, if you need them and take them and they work, good, keep doing it. Um, where people, I think, get, get a little sideways is sometimes SSRIs are used as antipsychotics and you know, certain cases. And the tough part about talking psychotropic medication is that it's all experimental and it's all individual. Now that's not to say that it's, that we're using the country as lab rats. Um, you know, they've, they've been tested and proven and the FDA has given its approval and all this stuff. What I'm saying is that physicians are making their best guess every single time they prescribe, uh, because we're all different as human beings. And so what works for John may not work for Mike, may not work for me, may work really well for Pat. And that's all variable by who we are, body weight, chemistry, all sorts of stuff, age, um, even, even, uh, uh, race and ethnicity. So when we hear things like, you know, the, the crazy guy was off his meds or crazy guy was on his meds and the meds caused the problem, right? Um, that's a, it's a, it's, it's disingenuous, it's low-hanging fruit, and it shows a vast ignorance of whoever's making that statement because A, they're not the physician. B, even if they were, 
you don't have any certainty to prove that and see that's an, a really inappropriate conclusion to draw. What it does though, when we draw conclusions like that is it makes us safe. It, it gives us a sense of control. Like, Hey, if I can explain this really horrible thing, then I'm satisfied and I can walk on with my own life and not really dig into the nuances. Right. So that's why we get labels and people cast off, you know, aspersions of other people. So it's, it makes me think that I have control over making sense of this senseless thing, whether it be violence and destruction or why does the earth spin the way that it does? <laughs> we come up with reasonable explanations and then we sleep at night. So when there's things that defy reasonable explanation, we just reach for the closest thing possible. That's why I call it low hanging fruit. Cause it's like, you know, just reach up, pick an apple, mm, satisfies my hunger, reach up, pick a reasonable explanation in my head, even though I know nothing about psychotropic medication and it satisfies my curiosity. So sure. that's that. Sure. And there seem to be a, a ton of people and it seems like fewer and fewer people all the time are willing i said that, that that contradicted but it seems like there are fewer people all the time who are willing to accept the the cold simple truth sometimes bad people do bad things there's not a reason for it and and sometimes we just can't make sense of why this world is the way that it is sometimes and and but yeah we all want to be able to explain it we all want to be able to um, come up with that rational explanation, right? So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would say sometimes the reason the reason is just out of reach, you know, and that's and that's mm -hmm. what we we help. Mike founded a suicide prevention organization off the death of his own good friend, and there we don't know, we just don't know, and and unfortunately, increasingly, and there's lots of reasons we can get into in another podcast for this, but. <laughs> we have lost the ability to tolerate distress and embrace mystery. And we're not okay, not knowing. So we're constantly yeah. searching for answers. And when those answers aren't made apparent, we're also not good at just letting go and being okay, not knowing. So there's, there's lots of stuff. Yeah. That. That's what, that's one of the things that for me, uh, the friend that, that Jake is referencing was also the president of my company when I owned Eagle imports and I had been with him, traveling at all these gun shows all these distributor shows for like a month straight right we were on the road together and then when he took his life with a firearm um everybody kept coming to me to say like mike what what did he say you were with him for a whole month right and and the the, the sad part about the situation was i'm trying to mourn i know they're in pain but i i couldn't tell them anything Right. And that we all want to think like, oh, someone is suicidal. They're showing all these emotions. They're giving all these clues. We're just missing them. You know, I always tell this story. The last time that I talked to Bill, his name is Bill Strominger. Uh, he was actually upset at me <laughs> because I wasn't making the proper flight arrangements and hotel arrangements that he had made because we had more traveling to do. So it was, you know, our goodbye wasn't goodbye. It was, Hey dude, get, you know, get going on these, on all these reservations. I've already made mine. You know, these, this is going to creep up on us, you know? And, and that's what I always try to tell everybody, you know, cause we try to do these things where even the NSSF, which I love the NSSF, but you know, they send you out packets for suicide prevention and they're sending them to guys at firearm shops. Look for these signs, look for these signs. And I saw somebody in the comments earlier said, not everybody says everything. You know, and that's, that's always a problem. So, yeah. Even in counseling, even in counseling where they, you know, ostensibly walk through the door to say stuff and solve things. It's like, uh, sometimes they just, they just don't.
You're muted, John. Thanks. I'm muted so I can talk to the dog. I've got an almost six-month-old golden retriever puppy who's sometimes she's Aww. a little and wants some attention. So um, she makes it hard to be super professional when I do this, which you need to hold her up at some point. I will. We'll do that. Um, yeah, that's that's her making noise. She's got a she's got a rawhide chew that's slapping up against my chair and on the floor. Um, so uh, before we get into a couple more questions um, out there in the green room, we've got one more panelist waiting to join. So uh, we will put Squib on the screen and say hello. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing all right. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you just fine. Okay. Thanks for the invite. You betcha. Uh, I don't know how much you've heard. Do you have anything you want to weigh in with before um, before I throw some more questions out at these guys? Uh, it just sounded to me like you were talking about suicide and somebody there said something alluding to, you know, people wanting closure and you don't always get that. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with that statement. There are times where we will never no, and for some people, they're not satisfied with that, whether they're personally involved or whether they're just interested in following the story. And sometimes that's the way life is. And I don't understand why. I guess I don't understand why people don't understand that it, it isn't fair, but life isn't fair. Yeah. And we could probably go a whole different night just on that concept, too, that, you know, people have been kind of coddled for the last generation or so and and we've given out too many particip participation trophies um so yeah now everything needs to work out the way that i want it to work out or else i can throw a fit right um so that's that's a lot of it and sometimes i think that that is what some of these bad actors are doing they're just lashing out that's their way of rolling on the floor and kicking and screaming uh unfortunately they're doing it in a way that that hurts or or even kills other people and that's never okay of course um but uh, but here's a couple concepts that I want to kind of cover tonight. Um, and and you even brought this up here just a little bit ago, Mike. Um, I'm going to speak for for my own state. And I know that a lot of states are either proposing this or have put this into uh, measure into place already. But we just had um, another and I'm going to put air quotes for those of you not seeing the screen, another suicide prevention bill come through um our state legislature here in nebraska and the the suicide prevention bill um what it actually said was um right now if you don't have a concealed carry permit in the state of nebraska to buy a handgun you need to go to your local sheriff or city police department and get a five dollar handgun purchase permit um what that does it, it does the background check and then you can you can go walk into any any gun store in Nebraska with that and cash and carry a handgun. The background check's already done. Uh, if you hold this permit, that means that you haven't done anything to revoke your privileges or excuse me, yeah, privileges. That's what it is, right? Uh, unfortunately, um, so right now you've they've got three days to get that um, done. And, and get that background check back so that you can be issued your permit. Uh, the suicide prevention bill wanted to make it to where, number one, you couldn't get it locally. It had to be mailed out from the main office in Omaha. Number two, they couldn't mail it out for at least 48 hours, and it gave them five days instead of three to get it done. Weekends don't count. Uh, oh, and by the way, 
um, we're going to include some suicide prevention material along with that certificate um, and make every instructor have to build that into their curriculum for concealed carry courses. Now, I actually, um, because I'm a board member for Nebraska Firearms Owners Association, I made the trip um, down to Lincoln to the state capitol to testify against this bill. Um, and I, I didn't pull any punches and I, I told the judiciary committee exactly what I thought. This has nothing to do with suicide prevention. Um, all it's going to do is make people who aren't qualified try and teach something about which most of them know nothing. Um, what do you guys, did, did I say it right? Or am I completely coming out of left field with that? Uh, I'm, I'm going to let Mike, I know he's got an opinion on this, but uh, I, for my part, that is a brilliant point. It is an absolutely brilliant point that you made about compelling people who aren't, that's not their bailiwick, right? To, to mm -hmm. train in some area that they're not skilled in. Now, of course that opens up some opportunity for people to grift and make money teaching them how to do it. But I've got a lot of sale, but I've been talking a lot already. So Mike, <laughs> uh, you know, Jake, uh, one of the reasons why I, I want, I was happy that you came on this show is because uh, I think people in the firearms industry tend to look at me as like the the or the most knowledgeable mental health guy in the room, and you're a firearms mental health guy, which is very unique, right? And you, we can tell that story, but please, I mean, go ahead. You, you know, I, uh, listening <laughs> audience, if you're not on video, you just saw me crack my knuckles and stretch. Um, okay, so <clears throat> here's the bottom line: we don't need to be told by government to do all the, those things. I mean, outside of the background checks and the, the bureaucratic nonsense that's clearly made to be obstructive to uh, gun access, um, I see nothing wrong with incorporating a suicide or mental wellness training in not just firearms training and CCW permit training as if we need a permit to carry, but that's another issue. Um, yeah but I would put it in everything. If I had my magic wand, which I used to have one, but it broke and I haven't been to Ollivander's to take care of that lately. Um, but if I could wave my broken magic wand over society, the first thing I would do, yeah, probably the first thing I would do <laughs> is to, is to incorporate emotional functioning so that we know what our brains are doing between thought and feeling into all ninth grade health education courses. I would start a little younger with the, the elementary school kids and I have a five and a half and a three and a half year old, but um, I've been in and around education my, my entire life, uh, both as a as a teacher and, and as, a, as a director and a, uh, of community volunteer and all sorts of stuff. So um, I think ninth grade health education should, should also incorporate that. Now we're doing some good stuff with suicide training and intervention and screenings and all that stuff at the middle school level and the high school level. And I saw an entire community change because they implemented a program about seven years ago regarding the signs of suicide screening. Now everybody's talking about mental wellness. Uh, parents are more likely to get their kids into care. Kids are um, pointing out each other when they're, when they're sensing struggle in the classroom or outside of school. I mean, it's really beautiful. Like, like I'm seeing a whole community heal. Uh, it's you know, a small community, it's like 2,500 people, which made it you know flexible and nimble enough to do it. But the point is, it can be done. And I think suicides, suicide exposure training, all that stuff's great. But it's it's a little too out of touch for most people. I think we need to start with something that 
literally everybody can understand. And that's emotional functioning. That's why I'm big on the emotional functioning stuff. It forms the foundation of all my, my clinical interventions. Um, so if I were to, to wave that magic wand again, and I would teach firearms owners about their own emotional functioning and their impulses. Right. And then not just that, but to recognize them in others. And that's when we get into some of the uh, Mike and I and Rob Pincus and some of our other, uh, you know, advocates with WTTA have really pushed for this change of language away from safe because safe can mean too many things uh, that are very disparate to too many people and more toward responsible when we're talking about storage and, and keeping of firearms, because responsibility as opposed to safety, which is sort of generic and and out there and sort of ethereal responsibility is about one person doing something it's a, it's an action that one takes it's not an idea it's not it's not it can't be shifted onto somebody else responsibility is is up to you so if we're talking about responsible storage as just a safe storage it's much clearer so <clears throat> when we get into the responsible storage stuff uh that that gets down to the individual's own responsibility not only to store safely but also to educate oneself on the signs and symptoms of somebody going a little off and maybe that's when we need to intervene and again we don't need the government to tell us to do this stuff we as gun owners need to do it ourselves and communicate that message to the rest of the community to our friends and our family and our colleagues and people across the country i have uh, relatives in omaha elkhorn actually so i Nebraska is like, cool. um, but uh, I think if we start doing it and we become active at it, there won't be need for legislation. In fact, we can march right in there and be like, Hey, love what you're doing here and all, but we're already doing it. So what's the point as opposed to don't do this. We don't need it. Right. Um, but we've just been slow, so slow on the uptake. Uh, I think, I think we're getting carved out of the conversation. I'll kick it back to Mike. Cause I know that you've got a bunch of programs that we really should tell people about that. We're already, trying to do i mean yeah that's the whole point of walk the talk or that's what walk the talk america has become right when i first started this john like my thought process was we're just going to hand money to the mental health community fill in the holes fill in the gaps we're going to be able to stop uh, the mass shooters because that was really what i wanted to do because these these tragedies that happen you know they hit us pretty hard and i know i knew that from just being in the industry um but they pushed me to suicide prevention and when I say the they, that was the mental health professionals, right? The highly decorated, you know, mental health professionals saying, focus on suicide prevention and you'll be all right. And I had to say, hey, I don't want to do that. I, I want to do both, you know, but I really want to stop the next mass shooter. Well, stop the next mass shooter is like finding a needle in a haystack and they know it, right? So it forced me to look at the organization and say, what kind of programs, what, 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 what can we do ourselves? No one telling us what to do. Maybe some people giving us advice. What can we do? What what value do we have? The space, I'm talking about the gun shops, the trainers, inside the box of the firearm. That's all valuable space. And we can control what we put in that. Mm -hmm. um, and we can also come up with our own programs that help prevent suicide prevention. And by doing that, we can also cast a very wide net that potentially could catch the next mass shooter. I, I've never given up on that, right? Just making sure that you get access to people who are in crisis without fear of consequence. So you don't have to walk around with a scarlet A on your, your chest the rest of your life. Um, you, you shouldn't be prohibited from buying a firearm because five years ago you were in a bad relationship, the person left you and you went and did the right thing before you got 
violent and hurt yourself or, or somebody else, you went to go get help. That shouldn't stay with you the rest of your life. So, you know, I, I, I definitely agree with what you say. Um, I think with firearms, we can do everything ourselves. There's enough Jake's out there. There's enough mental clinicians that take our mental, our, our cultural competence firearms course to get qualified. I mean, we had two people today, Jake, that came through. Yeah, so that was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, because you said there's plenty of me out there, and I think people doubt that. And what if, what we want to do also with our website is create a, a database that is publicly accessible that says these people took our course and or otherwise signed on to our mission and are not going to judge you if you come in. And I tell this story all the time on our podcast. We have a podcast, by the way, it's called guns and mental health. Um, it's, it's amazing. No bias whatsoever. <laughs> um, but we, uh, you know, I, t I tell the story all the time about how I basically had to come out of the closet as a firearms owning clinician to my clinical community because we're so judgmental about firearms. And I don't even think it's intentional. I don't think people actually scoff at it. I think there's just, it's just so taboo, just like mental health. Um, we don't want to talk about people's mental illness. We don't want to talk about their struggles. And, I'm, and in my profession, we just don't talk about firearms except to say, do you want firearms, you know, to a suicidal subject? And it's like, that's, that's not the right way to do it. That's very off-putting and you'll never see that person again. So part of what we're doing with this cultural competence course is to teach gun culture and all of its nuances to clinicians so that they can understand if they're not familiar, because there's a lot of us who are familiar and they're coming out of the woodwork too and clearing their throats and raising their hands and saying, oh yeah, me too, I'd like some of that. Um, but to the ones who are just genuinely curious and have open minds and haven't already closed themselves off, they come in and they go, my goodness, I had no idea that there was this much dynamis, dynamism to gun culture, to, to the firearms people, the, the industry, the, the hobbies, and the, you know, the, the professionals. and and they have their minds changed. You know, they might still be not gun people. That's fine. Like, I know that, you know, Edgar Antione wants to arm everybody. That's not a bad idea, but, but not everybody wants a gun and that's fine. We're not, we're not interested in selling firearms to people. What we're interested in selling is non-judgmental, welcoming embrace to those who are struggling. And when you got statistics published by Pew Research Center from 2017, by the way, not, not exactly recent given the the surge in sales that suggests that 42% of Americans, probably north of 50% now, either own a gun or live with somebody who does, that's half your freaking clientele, man. Mm -hmm. Like every other person who walks through the door is presumed to live with somebody who owns a firearm or owns one themselves. We can't be incompetent about that. We have to train ourselves up so that we can, we're not just sitting there spastically reacting when some former veteran, you know, I guess he's a current veteran to be a former service member, uh, comes in and says, you know, I, I have some anxiety about, you know, my job or whatever. And so I go in the desert on weekends and plink with my kids and we go, you blink with your kids, you shoot guns with your kids. Should I call CPS? It's like, no, please, for the love of God, don't do that. Um, but we have people who think like that. And I know, cause I've talked to some of them and then, you know, change their mind. Thankfully, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying not only to, to shift minds and, 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 and invite people in to the, the beauty of what it is that we do as, as gun owners and appreciate it fully, but also to invite in the firearms owners to say counseling isn't so spooky. We're, right. I'm, I'm not scary. You know, come, come talk to me. I'm, I'm cool. I think, I think. And 
that's part of the reason why I wanted to have this whole conversation tonight too, is just because um, there may be somebody out there right now listening, whether it's live or, I mean, this could be somebody that hears this two years from now um, that, that says, Hey, you know, I would love to get some help, but I don't want to lose my guns and I don't want to get um, things taken away from me. So that's going to lead me to my next thought before we do that. Uh, we've got another, um, he's not really a regular, but we've seen him in here before. So we're going to say hi to ghost tactical. What's up, sir. What's going on guys. How are y'all doing? What's up, Trey? Been a minute. Trey. Yeah, how y'all doing? So apparently you guys have all met. I don't have to do any introductions there. And anybody, that's, <laughs> anybody that's been around this podcast knows that, uh, knows that voice too. So, um, You've been listening for a little while, Ghost. Do you have anything that you want to uh, mention from anything that we've covered so far? Yeah, I mean, you know, Jake and Mike are doing a phenomenal job on so many different levels. But you just brought up a point that I think when it comes to mental health side of it, that I think is a scary thing is, one, we don't want to get to the point where the government feels like they need to legislate what's in people's minds. That's dangerous and so many different levels. But if we don't make it, and I love the, the, the line that Mike has used since day one, I want to have mental health be you able know, to talk about like a common cold and it'd be okay to talk about like a common cold. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to go through issues in their life, but if they feel like there's not just their two way rights, but their humanity is going to be taken from them by the scarlet letter that you guys are talking about of, of admitting that I'm, I'm having some issues then that's a dangerous slope as well. We need to make sure that people that need help can get help without the repercussions of government interference. And that's the biggest part of it. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually leading in and, and there's some comments going on out there in the, in the YouTube chat too, that, that kind of are um, what we're going to bring up next. So here is a fear that not necessarily that I have personally, but the a fear that I have just for, for our community in general is we're seeing more and more states um, come out with, with one form or another of a red flag law. And there's obviously there's talk every legislative session in Washington, in Congress, of a nationwide red flag law. And I want to talk about the potential repercussions that that, that could cause as well with people who, I mean... I can just see more people clamming up, trying to um, lock everything away and, and not, I mean, not only are people not going to seek help from a, a licensed professional who actually knows what they're doing, but how many of us have an issue that's, it's not worth in our minds anyway. And, and I'm not trying to um, marginalize what, what you do, Jake, but I know that you're going to understand what I mean when I say this. How many times do we have a problem that's not worth calling a counselor over, but we can go call our buddy. We can go have a drink or go to the range and, and, you know, let some steam off that way with a little range therapy, whatever it is, or just a hop in the car and and go for a cruise, you know, and just, and just talk it out. And, um, how many people are going to now become unwilling even to do that because, uh, they don't want people knowing. And I mean, if, if you got your buddy you can talk to, then you know that you can trust him. But 
how do you know that somebody isn't going to overhear the conversation? Unless, like I said, unless you're in the car, whatever it is. Uh, how do you know that somebody isn't going to find out that you um, are dealing with some stuff? And again, we try to explain things in our mind in a way that makes sense, which means that more often than not, as human beings, we'll fill in any blanks. Um, and that's based on our own experiences, not necessarily... Um, what the truth is. Um, I think they call that what projecting. Um, and so I know, I know a couple of the words. I don't always know what they mean. Um, but, uh, um, I can see red flag laws being a, a self-fulfilling. What do I, do I want to say a self self-fulfilling prophecy or a self-sustaining issue? Um, they're going to create the very problem that they're supposed to solve just because people are unwilling to go get their problems solved in the first place. So what do you guys think about um, what red flag laws could potentially do just to um, just to people who are fighting with whatever it is that they're fighting with? So I give uh, I've, I have given recently several presentations on red flag laws now. And if you're listening and you you you've heard this term, uh, I'm going to break it down to so pardon me if, if you think I'm just insulting your intelligence. I don't know who the audience is. Um, and, and, I, and that's okay. I'm always yeah. hopeful that somebody shares this with somebody who doesn't know anything about it. So right. it's now, okay. So Nevada adopted a, a so-called red flag law in the 2019 legislature. So we meet biennially, which means um, every other year. They're always on odd years, meaning the, the, the law went into effect January of 2020. And I've been teaching our police academy for the last three years through its uh, mental health, uh, you know, crisis intervention training week where I do the kickoff and then I do scenarios and evals at the end. And I had to incorporate into my, into my kickoff about what is mental health and, you know, why should we care and uh, emotional functioning. It's all, it's all geared toward de-escalation of the mentally ill subject. Okay. So I had to incorporate the, the ERPO and it's another acronym, extreme risk protection order. That's the, that's the ERPO law, otherwise known as red flag. You're going to flag somebody to their apparent deficiency. Um, and the way, the way these things read is, and they're, they're almost carbon copies of each other across every state. Um, as the states continue to adopt more and more of them, I haven't, I haven't paid attention as closely, but I, I know enough to, to know that they're virtually the same. So there's like 17 or 19 on the books right now. And essentially what it breaks down to is, Think of think of a, a, a red flag law, or think of the flag itself as being a um, a restraining order. So the restraining order is not that's actually like pop culture movie vernacular. The real wording is protection order. So you can have a temporary protection order against somebody who's like perpetrated harm upon you, and you have to stay away five hundred feet or whatever. And then you can have an an extended protection order, which goes from you know takes it from like a month out to a year or whatever. Well, this is an extreme risk protection order, and that risk allegedly is the risk of the person to do harm to self or others through the use of firearms. And we will flag this person, and uh, they're supposed to surrender firearms to the to the government. And the way it looks is something like you file a petition with a court, and the court, capital C court, i.e. the judge, evaluates this petition and says, yay or nay, and sends the deputies in or the police officers, whatever jurisdiction you happen to reside, to knock on your door and say, sir or ma'am, you have been flagged. Uh, the judge has deemed fit that you're no longer fit to possess these guns. 
hand them over. And uh, they sweep your house or whatever, and they, they take all your firearms. Okay, here's how it happens. In most states, not named New Jersey, and I don't know any other states besides New Jersey, but there could be others. The language says law enforcement or family member slash uh, person living with you. Okay. And the family members are usually defined as what you would think family members are, including extended family like in-laws and uh, cousins and so forth. <clears throat> law enforcement is law enforcement. There are two different barriers of... Uh, I should I should say um, burdens of proof. So if you're familiar with the burden of proof scale, uh, with regard to when some when law enforcement or someone else can establish uh, what they need to establish to allege something, the lowest burden of proof is reasonable suspicion. The highest burden of proof is clear and convincing evidence. Right below clear and convincing evidence is what you probably heard of in the movies called beyond a reasonable doubt or beyond a shadow of a doubt. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm a little phlegmy this evening. So what happens is these, these laws say family members can fill out this application or this petition to the court based on reasonable suspicion that you are at risk to use your firearms in a negligent way to cause death or harm. Law enforcement must use probable cause. That's a step above reasonable suspicion. Okay, so the petition goes through. They they determine that you're you're at risk. You have to give up your guns. Now, there's all sorts of issues in there that obviously law enforcement was not consulted upon. Because can you imagine being a cop showing up to somebody's house who's at risk? And we'll just presume that there's a real risk, right? Let's let's presume this is of good nature and good intent, and there's actual legitimacy. Knock, knock, knock on the door. We're here to take your guns. How do you think that's going to go over? Yeah, we've already seen that go not well in, in Maryland. Yeah, yeah um, not not good. And then you have no knock orders. That That's worse. Mm -hmm. so, so already you've got conflict on your hands and possibly escalating a situation that didn't need escalating in the first place based on somebody's suspicion. All right. Let's say it goes well, right? They knock on the door. Hey, sir, ma'am, we heard these things. We've got this order. And they go, thank God you're here. I didn't know what to do. I really need help. Great. Okay. Hand over your guns. We'll keep you safe from the guns. Never mind all the other dangerous objects in your house, like the sharp, yeah. <laughs> sharp objects and the and the rope and the shoestrings and the and the Drano under the sink. The car, the car, the swimming pool, the the high the pills. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> enough of being cheeky. They take the guns. You go through your treatment. You're in a mental health crisis. You got some some stuff going on. You, your wife just left you. Your dog just died. Whatever. It sounds like a country song, right? So um, you go through all that because, as I said at the outset of the program, mental illness is temporary. It should be overcome. Great. Now you've overcome it. Some time passes. Doesn't matter what time. You want your guns back because you're healthy. You don't have the scarlet letter on your chest. To get them back, the burden of proof that must be achieved is clear and convincing evidence that you're okay. The laws don't say what clear and convincing is. It's up to the judge. And they do that on purpose because every case is different. And it's not just for this. It's for anything, right? We don't want to restrict judges' ability to judge by, you know, tying their hands with the law. But what is clear and convincing evidence in this case? You, you've got you've got due process issues. You've got Fourth Amendment issues. Um, okay. We, but but the point is, <laughs> government has your stuff. How do you get your property back? Clear and convincing. Clearly convince them that you're safe. 
How do we do that? Well, Johnny Pirelli, who wrote this book that I held up at the beginning, The Behavioral Science of Firearms, it's 600 pages long. He suggests that we need to be trained, we clinicians need to be trained to do gun evaluations for people, uh, for all sorts of things, because there's states like New Jersey that say, in order to have a permit for a firearm, you got to go through a gun eval. And, the first, and we just had him on our podcast. And he said, you know, the first time I got this call, I was like, what is this? And he consulted with a bunch of people and consulted the literature. And there was literally zero about it. But we have a law in the books. Good job, legislators. <laughs> so the, the, the thinking is judges would shoulder tap clinicians to come in and at, you know, assess this individual and say, are you or are you not safe? Well, guess how many of those there are in this country that could do that? Like zero. Because the training literally didn't exist until Walk the Talk America invented it in the first place. So you got a bunch of clinicians who are hesitant, a bunch of judges who don't know what to do, and the person is without their guns forever. And you think, all right, well, that sucks, and I don't get to hunt, and I don't get to, you know, do whatever, and maybe we're all, you know, strong white males like are on the screen. But what if you're not? What if you're in a different situation, and you don't have the average middle class or upper middle class white resources to pay for, you know, things like lawyers. What, what, what this disproportionately disadvantages is our minority communities, our impoverished communities, domestic violence survivors, and a whole litany of other people who are otherwise traditionally voiceless at the table. And Laura Smith from Liberal Gun Club does a great job breaking that down. Um, but my problem with the red flag laws is it it dissuades people from getting care because in New Jersey, and remember I said New Jersey was an exception. New Jersey's law says, doesn't say family member or law enforcement, it says any person. And now, as of a month ago or so, I saw, thanks to Mike sending it to me, Johns Hopkins University, their public health school, put out an hour-long video on YouTube where... They have two different cartoon vignettes telling physicians or otherwise interventionists in the medical sphere how to talk somebody into red flagging their family members when they're otherwise well-intentioned person being treated, patient, client, might not necessarily need to be flagged. On top of all that, when you get a protection order issued against you, it's a legal insertion into your life. Every time you fill out a form for an application to a job, you, you fill out a background application, you have to attest, are you subject or have you ever been subject to a protection order? Guess what that is? Now we've just criminalized being sick. So you're, you're sick in the body, you're sick in the head, we've made one of those criminal and it goes into your background check. It goes into your job application form. And that's a problem. And of course, people aren't going to go seek treatment if they think the clinician they're going to seek help from is going to flag them, not just let's let's take guns out of it for a second. I know we're all 2A people, but it's a property rights issue. And let's pretend you don't care about your property. All right. You, you want to get rid of your guns forever. You still have the scarlet letter now. Yeah. Now, my my profession has a responsibility and I, I sing this loud as I can from as many high places as possible. We need to start pushing back on this because it's deleterious to our profession to have people scared of treatment because they think that somewhere down the road, they may be denied a job, denied a privilege, like maybe driving, for example. I don't know how far this goes to the DMV. Uh, certainly their Second Amendment rights um, simply because they were ill. 
that's not okay. And our associations need to galvanize. And unfortunately, they're not. And I have a big problem with that. And I have a head full of opinions and lots of words to express them. But for now, I just want to pause because I want to, I want to say how stridently I posed I am to these red flag laws. However, they're on the books. And the best we can do right now in the current culture is probably not ask for an, a repealment of them. We can ask for modification to at least give us clarity on what clear and convincing evidence comprises and or at least bring down the clear and convincing to reasonable suspicion <laughs> that you're okay. Right. Because that's what got your rights taken away in the first place. Yeah. And John, just to, just to let the, the listening audience know, like, Walk the Talk America has been around long enough to to gain the respect that it has to be at the table for many of these discussions. And I want, you know, sometimes when we look at ourselves as a firearms industry, you you can get disenchanted because you can be like, look, we don't even have a voice. People are censoring us. Um, you know, we can't even go into these conversations. We are. We're there. And we're doing, uh, we're having these meetings and we're bringing the right people in. And, and we're using a little bit of a keto move to like kind of spin this in other ways to kind of change minds. Um, but we just got there. We just got these seats at the table. Right. Um, it's going to be a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I've learned anything in my short tenure as, as a NFOA board member, it's that uh, the legislative process does not move quickly. Um, and I knew that, but I didn't, I didn't know that. Like I know it now and i've only i've only been paying attention for what is this march for three months now um and so yeah i'm with you um but again i mean that's that's why we're having this conversation because some of these thoughts are i think are thoughts that maybe a lot of people haven't stopped to consider especially you know anything that happens it's so easy to grab your phone and throw out a meme or throw out a post on the social media right um not understanding that, I mean, sometimes we are our own worst enemies, even within the pro two way community. And sometimes we, we mean well, but, um, but we end up shooting ourselves in the foot. And what I don't want to see is, um, is that so, so yeah, uh, I'm glad you guys are there. I'm glad that there is a walk the talk America. Um, would it have been cool to, to have your seats at the table years ago? Sure. But better late than never. I'm glad that you're there now. Um, I'm glad that finally there's somebody who not only can be a voice for firearm owners, but somebody who can be a voice that they'll actually potentially listen to. Um, I don't know if, if they are listening to you yet, but at the very least they, they wanted to hear your opinions or they wouldn't, they wouldn't include you. So, I mean, we we're making progress there from from our end of things too uh yeah, real quick i will say yeah. that some of our work here in in nevada has been with uh the the va or well not specifically directly with the va but the nevada division of veteran services it's heading up the mayors and governors challenge teams to to prevent suicide and there's been large widespread um interest in altering the red flag law as it stands now and and that's pretty cool to see from from the veterans community uh, and and with the firepower that they could potentially bring to something like that. Unfortunately, we couldn't challenge it this year, even though it's an odd year, it's a legislative year because it's too new. Uh, we would 
it would be herky-jerky and it wouldn't come off real well. But I think in two years, in the next session, we, we really have some opportunity to make some, some good inroads. And I hope by then the word has spread that this was just ill-conceived, even though it was well-intended. And I do, I do want to say that, that I think that, that the legislators who put forth these laws that eventually end up having these unintended consequences, I do believe they have their hearts in the right places. They don't necessarily have the information. And a lot of the times it's because they either failed to ask because they didn't know who to ask, and they don't know that people like me are out there that are knowledgeable about such things. Um, but also they, they have a, I don't want to say agenda because agenda has been so pejoratively stigmatized, but they, their agenda is to go make change, right? That's why they got elected. They want to go like make stuff happen and they want to do it with great urgency because a lot of times these legislative sessions are, are limited in time and, um, and there's just not a lot of time to gather everything. So now then later we can go amend the law. And that's the beauty of living in a democratic republic is we, the citizens can do whatever we want with our laws. So, uh, you know, not all hope is lost and I don't want to cast a bunch of doom and gloom. And I definitely don't want to disparage the people who are up there writing and, and passing these policies because they're only doing what they think is best. And until they get different information, they're not going to know different. And that's, that's part of our job too, is education, right? Nope. Exactly. Right. Um, Real quick before we uh, before we go any farther, um, I'm just gonna give a chance for Defense Dad, Pat, Squib, or Ghost to um, throw out any comments or or any questions that any of you guys have, um, because we haven't really given given anybody a, a whole lot of chance yet to to weigh in. So um, I'll just let you guys figure out who's going first and and give you a chance to uh, to bring anything up or ask anything that you guys want to ask. Okay, I'll jump in here real quick. Um, I kind of wanted to double back on what you were talking about earlier in the show. Um, as far as the uh, psychotrope, uh, psychotropics and stuff like that for uh, veterans that have had like uh, massive like TBIs or uh, uh, anything like that, um, where they're going down south where all this stuff is – uh, you know, down to South America and places like that and around the world, you know, not in the United States. And they're getting treated, you know, where uh, have you seen any results from any of that on how they come back? I know I, I've listened to a lot of different podcasts and stuff with uh, veterans involved. And uh, I know it has really changed their lives as You're far right. as going through those uh, processes and You're stuff. Right. You're talking about like uh, MDMA and psilocybin and ketamine and yes, all that. Exactly. 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 Because a lot of the stuff that I've heard has really changed and turned them around as far as thoughts of like uh, suicide or um, just being ultimately depressed or, you know, just things like that. Have you seen anything or heard anything about that in where you've been at? Uh, Mike? I mean, ayahuasca. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I've been saying that for a long time, though. You know, it's tough for us as as firearms owners, though, to come out and kind of endorse these things publicly. I don't care, but um, you know, uh, there is there's enough research that shows like the effects of psilocybin, MDMA, um, ayahuasca, and here's the deal. Like, I don't really care what it is that gets people to a better place. Um, I think I e even if you're on just you know, regular depression medication, 
I think it, there's just a responsibility, right, to understand that that stuff has to be monitored and, and administered properly. Um, I don't know how many friends that I've had that have been prescribed something uh, because of their depression or their anxiety, and they don't go like even 30 days without not, you know, I would say knock out the drinking, knock out all these other things, the bad behavior or any behavior that might affect the, the, how the drug treats you. Right. And that's with any drug. Um, these are the things that we kind of have to be cognizant of because, um, if you don't really monitor it and find out that it's the right thing for you, uh, you're not, you're never going to heal. And when you're dealing with like ayahuasca or you're dealing with any of those things too, it's the same. It's the same. You've got to make some lifestyle changes and really buy in to it. Um, but I'm a big proponent of that. And I think everything is worth a try, but you got to give it a real try. I will also plug our podcast for the third, fourth, fifth time. Um, <laughs> we had Shauna Springer on who's a psychologist. She's a uh, Doc Springer is what she's known as in the veteran community. And she's part of a group. If you go to stellacenter.org, I'm going to pull it up real quick. Stellacenter.com, S-T-L-L-A center.com. You're going to find out about something called stellate ganglion block. And it's a treatment that's been around for like a hundred years. And it's, it's not, I hate to I hate to call it this. It's not an alternative medicine treatment, which is exactly what we just got done discussing, even though all those drugs that we just uh, listed off are going to be allegedly um, scheduled down this year or next year by the F uh, by the DEA. Um, Stellate ganglion block is a shot. It's a, it's an anesthetic. Uh, an anesthesiologist came up with it and you, you inject it in the, the base of the neck, right, right at the, base of your uh your brain stem right in the like the the, the c1 area and what it if what it essentially does is it, and you can listen to her on our podcast but it essentially reboots your your limbic system your emotional functioning so that people struggling with ptsd are no longer in that perpetual fight flight or freeze uh cycle it reboots you and puts you at a new baseline. The crazy thing is there's something like 80% effectiveness on the first shot. And, and if you go, and it doesn't work, you go back for a second shot, it shoots to like 94% or something. It's nuts. Wow. Like this is, this is treatment's been around totally. Wow. Legitimately That's awesome. For like a hundred years. And they, they're doing this in uh, Palo Alto, I think somewhere in Northern California. Um, and it's, it, it the, the next fight is to get insurance to cover it, but then also to get more providers on board to administer the treatment. However, to Mike's point, if you've been living a life of illness, you tend to gravitate toward ill people. And I'm, and I'm paraphrasing Shauna in this. You have to make behavioral changes in your life just because you have your awakening with your psilocybin or you go through your MDMA experience or you get your Stella ganglion block and you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, I... I want to live a different life. You can't just automatically start doing that. Whatever you practice for a really long time, you're going to get good at. And if people have practiced living poorly or being angry or gravitating to people who don't necessarily have their best interests in mind, maybe even sometimes marrying them, uh, you're going to have to practice something different if you want to get out of it. So even though we're, we've reset the mechanism, the outward behavioral performances will pull you right back into that. So I am a big fan of all the non-traditional, non-psychotropic, non-big pharma interventions, including talk therapy. 
which is effective. Uh, EMDR is effective. There's all sorts of stuff that's effective. Um, try what works for you is what I would say, but but also be be cognizant that if you've been practicing something a certain way for a certain period of time, uh, it's 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 not going to go away overnight because you didn't get there overnight. Hey, by the way, Jake, I think we should plug Shauna's book. Um, you know, because there, there are a lot of of uh, veterans and probably active duty military listening. Um, Warrior, how to support those who protect us is a great book. Um, I think everyone should pick it up and check it out. I mean, I'm looking at it on Amazon right now and it's got five stars. Yeah. Um, while we're plugging our podcast, cause it's shameless, even though we turned it over to the other guys on the panel. Um, <laughs> so some of what I was drawn from when I was talking about the red flag stuff, uh, it, with regard to law enforcement came from, our interview with uh, Ryan Hale and Christy Butler, who are both clinicians who ride with law enforcement uh, to go to those calls. And also from our interview with Brandon Casanelli, who is a Reno police officer, who's also a marriage and family therapist intern, who's embedded in the Reno police department as peer support specialist with a license to do mental health and with our own sheriff here in Washoe County, Darren Balaam. So there's, there's a <laughs> listener to our podcast. It's really good. <laughs> Trey had something, I think. Yeah, I, I wanted to kind of discuss something when it comes to the veteran side of things, and and it's something that I'm personally working on with my one of my congressmen, one of my senators, um, directly. We're trying to get something to understand that a lot of veterans have issues when they come out of active service, and this is something that's extremely important for a lot of veterans. When they get a TBI or they're having issues with PTSD or something while they're in it's impossible for them to report that because that is effectively the end of their career. Okay. So it goes without being documented. Now the problem with this, it's not just a VA, this is in general. When a, when a veteran gets out that has a TBI or has some mental health issues because of active service, they could not report while active to end of their career. They can't get treated for that afterwards, especially from the VA because it was not a documented injury caused by active service military so, trauma too i'll say that's right and and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get a bill that written up that says we're gonna give them a grace period whether it's 30 days 60 days 90 days a year whatever to say look if there's anything when you're going through your va screening before you get an, uh, assigned your number you have a grace period to document anything that can be proven to be gone back towards and traced to active duty service that could cause mental health, physical, whatever that you did not or could not report while on active service. What that's going to do is that's going to give a lot of guys that are or gals that are getting out the opportunity to say, look, I couldn't say anything about this before, but I was involved with an IED. I was involved with a lot of different things. And I think I've got some issues. I'm seeking help and I want to get this documented so I can get treated. The problem that we have right now is we have a lot of veterans out there that cannot literally cannot be treated because it was not documented while on active service. And that's just as big of a travesty as anything else because we're telling them to hide it and then you can't get any help from it later on. And that needs to be changed as well. No, agreed. Um, one of the biggest things that, that for me personally, um, that I see or, or I hear about, you know, are the struggles that, that veterans like, like yourself ghost and, and squib, um, you know, you, maybe not you guys personally, but, but 
I just wanted to acknowledge the veterans on the panel here. Um, but the, uh, the, the veterans, you know, come back and then, um, I mean, these are America's warriors. These are the, the people that, you know, were tasked with the job of keeping me safe while I'm here at home. Um, obviously these are tough individuals. I mean, it, it goes without saying. So again, um, you've got to overcome the stigma that needing help means you're weak. Um, but besides that, um, there's, there's, I wish there was a way that, that I could be more involved, but I also recognize the fact that I wasn't there and I don't get it. And I'm not the person to talk to about any of this. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that there are organizations. Um, I know Patriot in the dark. I had mentioned in a comment way early. Um, I can't scroll back up and find it now, but, um, there he's, he's part of an organization where, um, he might get a phone call from somebody that just needs to talk and being a, a Marine himself, he, you know, he's got some experience to draw from and it's, it's not like talking to me knowing full well that I don't have any idea where these people are coming from. Right. I mean, I wasn't there. I, I, I don't get it. Um, I know it was bad. I don't know how bad. And I, I can't wrap my head around it. So if anything, um, before we're done here, I want to, I want to get two main points across. Um, and I'm going to do that now. And then we'll go back to giving people a, a chance to, to make some comments or ask some questions. But the two main things I want to accomplish with this whole conversation tonight Number one, if you are one of the people who just want to oversimplify bad people doing bad things and say, the problem's not the gun, the problem's mental health, we've got to fix mental health, we've got too many crazy people out there, okay, the, the problem isn't the gun, the problem isn't necessarily mental health either, the problem is that individual had a problem and did a bad thing. Secondly, if you are somebody who needs some help, and you're afraid to get help or you're not afraid, but you don't even know where to turn. There are, there are ways to get help. Um, we'll put some links in the, in the description when we're all done here so that people can go back and find them to, to find some help. Um, if you want it, whether you're veteran or, or civilian, if you want to just go get a free screening just to see if maybe you do have some stuff going on, uh, you can go to, to uh, WTTA.org slash love and, and get an anonymous screening. You guys don't keep those records. You don't see what people get back in their screening, right? It's just that's a it's a resource that people can just answer the questions. And it obviously it's not done by by a human, um, but based on the the answers to your questions, you're gonna get kind of an idea of maybe there's something going on. Maybe um maybe not. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, the cheap little tool that you can plug into your car's computer and, and just diagnose that, Hey, at least we don't have any, any major malfunctions going on with the engine. Right. Um, it's kind of a, a, the first step there's places that you can go to get help, but it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to need help. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you number one, you're not weak. Number two, you don't have to lose your guns. Um, treating mental, treating mental health or, or firing on, I guess, so we'll just say we're, we'll firing on all eight cylinders, 
mentally as well as physically um, or, or wanting to make sure that you're there, it's um, that's okay. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything to do with, with gun ownership. They're not mutually exclusive. You, you don't have to um, pretend like everything's okay when it's not. In fact, that can lead to worse issues. Um, so I just wanted to get those out while they're in the front of my mind. Cause those of you that know me know that if I don't say it, when I'm thinking of it, I'll forget and, and not say it later. Um, so, uh, squib or defense dad, do, do either of you have anything you want to either say or ask? Yeah, so I do. And I, and I'm going to say this and I don't mean any disrespect to the mental health uh, profession at all. How do, cause you, you, you talked about earlier about like, there are some people or can I mention that some people out there just more do it to line their pocketbooks rather than actually help someone. And I can speak to that on personal experience. Cause I, I have a very close personal family member who grew up. Um, I'm not going to say who it is because I have permission, but spent almost 18 months in a mental health facility. Um, to the point where insurance finally ran out, they told that person's parents that they were absolutely not safe to leave and that their parents needed to um, go get a second mortgage on their home in order to keep them there. Oh. And when their parents said they couldn't do that less than a week, well, magically they've had enough progress in their treatment. And they were safe to go home. So, and again, no disrespect, but I know that's a family member of mine. Um, and it was in my household. Um, so how do you know you're getting the right help? It seems like it's a crapshoot. I love that question. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Do you have more? No, I was just hoping that makes made sense. It's just, yeah. I have that experience with it. I don't take any of the, what we talked about because of my growing up and how I experienced that. I don't take any of this lightly at all. Uh, it's a great question. I love that you asked that. And actually at the outset of the uh, pandemic and the lockdowns, we were all scrambling to basically convince everybody that telehealth is okay. One of the things that Zephyr Wellness did, which is the, the company that I co-own here in Northern Nevada, um, is I, I typed out and then I did a, actually, I did a video on it. It was very long winded. Nobody wants to watch it, <laughs> but, but we broke it into several sections uh, on frequently asked questions and the way I purposely designed that to communicate what the user should be asking of the clinician, because I believe to my core that I want to work myself out of a job. I, I would love that when I'm sitting in my rocking chair at the end of my career and I have my, you know, I picture myself as Stewie from Family Guy and he's like wearing the, 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 the hat and he's like, it's good to have land. I like, I want like, like a hundred acres and nobody around <laughs> me. And, and, and I want to be, I want to be able to say I achieved something. And that's something I achieved is that my kids aren't getting bullied on the playground. I'm not watching couples having arguments in the grocery store. And life is good because, and, and I had to work the last 20 years of my life doing any, literally any other job to pay my bills. So I want to get this information in the hands of the people. So the FAQ on the Zephyr Wellness website is a great place to go. But to answer your question, you should not be in treatment in perpetuity. And, and if somebody was in an 
I, I think I heard you say it was a, it was a facility, which means it sounds like residential treatment. If anybody's in there for 18 months and they actually have family support and it's not just like a child who was raised in perpetual chaos in the foster care system and was passed around and has all this like crazy trauma history and nobody really actively participating. And even in that circumstance, I would say if you're in a facility for 18 months and there's no reasonable improvement, that is not only unethical, it's illegal and it's tantamount to fraud. That's crappy care. Um, and I know because I worked in a residential treatment facility for two years. Uh, that that's despicable. So I just I just I just reject that at the outset. And I, I I'm so embarrassed for my profession as a whole that you had to go through that. But I know it happens all the time. And that's that's the nature of corporate healthcare. Um, so I would love to to not be working. Some people don't necessarily share that belief. And and I would also say that we should be cautious not to attribute to sinister uh, nefariousness what can otherwise be chalked up as incompetence or ignorance some people are just just not very good um but we also have to be mindful that there are those of us who don't have our best interests in mind and it is oh. our job as 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 receivers of that care as 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 um consumers to push back and say i demand better and, and i asked that Partly because I also have family members that worked in the mental health field. And I have a, I have a sister-in-law who is a psychologist. My own mom was a nurse, but the last 10 years of her life, she worked in a mental health facility working with adolescents and dedicated the last 10 years of her nursing career to that. So I've seen both the good and bad, but it, it's just, I, I, it's, it's hard to sometimes trust. Like, how would you know who to, how you, that you're finding the right person? Go to the FAQ page, man. I covered a lot there. And if you don't have a, if you don't have it, I'll just, I mean, anybody can hit me up. I'm easy to access. It's either info at zephyrwellness.org or jake at zephyrwellness.org. Feel free to shoot me an email and I'll, I'll answer the best I can. I know we're time limited here and people's bladders are full. <laughs> jake, if you want to over on the, uh, the internal private chat there, go ahead and drop a few links and I'll copy and paste them into the main. If you want to do that, um, your website, email addresses, whatever you want to throw in there. Um, so while Jake is doing that, um, Squib, do you have anything that you want to chime in there? We're a constitutional republic. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, democratic kind. There's a difference. There is a difference. Yes. Again, this is the, the tonight's topic is kind of a, a play or a version of words matter, right? So, yeah. Good, good to bring that up. Um, I want to comment too, um, not just on on defense, Dad, what you said, but just in general tonight and forever. Anytime that I'm I'm doing a podcast, um, comments don't always have to be constructive, right? We want it to be real. If if you've got a comment, if you've got something, and and you're afraid to say it because it might hurt somebody's feelings. Um, we, you know, we've got a couple guests that we don't normally have tonight. Um, you know, as long as you can ask your question or, or phrase your comment in a respectful way, it, it doesn't all have to be rainbows and unicorns here, guys. Um, Defense Dad brought something up because if if he's been through it or, or had somebody close to him go through it, that means that there's probably not the only person that ever dealt with that kind of crap. Um if if you want to call out either somebody personally or 
something in a generalized manner as far as what Jake and Mike are, are doing and working with. I mean, it's okay. It's okay to have the discussion because if you're thinking it or you're feeling it, then somebody else probably is too. So um, whether it's tonight or like I said, at, at any point, any night um, that we're doing this, I mean, it's okay to, to sometimes throw those comments out there that are, that are more, um, I don't know if I want to say negative or derogatory, but just, um, you know, it, it's okay to, to, to bring out and talk about the bad with the good, because again, that this is all about discussion, right? It's about learning. It's about, um, you know, it could be that comment right there that makes somebody share this with somebody else who needed to hear that. And so I'm glad you asked that to you, defense dad. Cause that was cool. Um, all right. Um, we're going to wrap things up just so that it doesn't get too late. And my dog's asleep right now, but when she wakes up, she's going to have to go outside. And so we'll try to get wrapped up before, before she does wake back up. Um, yeah, she's shifted. Right. I'm gonna go back to sleep. Great. So, sorry. No, that's cool. Um, so does anybody have anything else that they want to, um, they want to mention, get thrown out? Um, and Mike and Jake, we'll start with you guys. Is, is there anything that you guys wanted to say um, that we didn't get to tonight? You haven't had a chance to say it yet or, or something you were hoping somebody would ask and they didn't. You're f- free to ask yourselves your own questions if you want to. I just want to fire that new Ruger. Yeah. If anybody wants to like, you know, ship me one as a test subject, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be cool. You know, well, if you as a cancellation prize, you could go to my uh, site on YouTube and uh, see me shoot it. <laughs> Pat, he's all hard, isn't he? Sorry. <laughs> well, now Jake did say though he's got family in Elkhorn, so if you come to Nebraska, then right. you'll just have to get in touch with us and and see if if there's a way to get together. Might might be there. Might be there. That would be You're welcome great. anytime at my fire. Thanks, bro. All right. Does anybody else have anything that you want to, uh, John, I just want to say that once again, I, there's a lot of, you know, we take a, we take a lot of beatings in the firearms community, especially now yeah. after these tragedies, but there's a lot of good things going on. Uh, there's a lot of things that I can't even talk about. Um, there, there are instances where I have mental health organizations fighting against some of these laws because, what I've done is is every time I look at a law, I try to find the angle that you know adds fuel to the stigma, uh, that fire, the stigma of mental health. Um, so we do have allies out there. They might not be perfect, right? But we have overlapping interests, and that's why it's important right now. Especially if you're if you're on social media, sometimes in our circles, people are like, "Why do you sit down with certain people?" Or, you know, "Why do you try to bridge this gap?" Well, I try to bridge this gap for exactly what's been happening lately. Um, mm-hmm. When these tragedies hit and I can get the vice president, the president of these organizations who originally probably would have just doubled down on any uh, emotional law that was going to be presented. And they say, look, someone's asking me to support this. Hey, man, why is this bad? Tell me again why this why we shouldn't back this. And I'm able to kind of talk them down and make them understand why this this is not going to change anything there's not this is not going to stop mass shootings at all um that's why i do this 
And I can't just sit there and flame these people and show these these conversations, these text messages. I mean, I, I, my circle sees them. Uh, Jake knows. But but there is some stuff going on. And this is why this is so important, because I know a lot of people, uh, especially with like the pinkest controversy right now. And I'm not going to say that I, I'm I'm going to go, you know, sit down with with Dan Gross or anything like that. But I have developed these relationships to where they, they can contact me and I can bring them right back into a reality to make them understand why these laws are silly and they will only add to the stigma of mental health mm-hmm. and they're racist and they're elitist and all these things. And this is three years of work, man. This isn't just, you know, overnight they respected me. I had to, I, I had to gain that trust and have those mm-hmm. conversations. So walk, talk America, please. Everybody that's listening, go, go check it out if you haven't. Um, but that's that's really what our mission is now, and, and we're focused on that. So, oh, very cool, very cool. I think, in seriousness, the the last thing I'd leave is um, a, a plug for a guy who was also on our podcast, uh, Christian Conti. If you want to learn more about this uh, this psychology stuff, um, a very easy to read book that's universally applicable to everybody's life goes for about 17 bucks on Amazon. It's called walking through anger. And it's, it's a little less about actual anger and more about his yield theory that he developed. It's a, it's a way to communicate so that you don't arouse somebody's defensiveness. And I think we can all use a little more of that. Yeah. And, and, and I, I would plug that. So Christian Conti is his name, C O N T E. Um, we had a great show with him, but his book walking through, there it is. Mike's got it walking through anger. It looks like a yield sign. Um, I would, I would encourage anybody to pick that up. It's it's not just for, you know, clinicians, it's for anybody who wants to learn how to communicate better. Very cool. I have to, uh, find some of those, um, and, uh, get some links to, to a couple books put up there too. So, um, all right, we're going to, uh, we're going to wrap things back up but before we do one last time tonight we're live on facebook and youtube um thanks to or thanks in part to decoding firearms an easy to read guide on general gun safety and use and i've got my copy actually right here i can hold my own copy up also um, on the doc, the wtta podcast <laughs> right um tell you what everybody who is is uh into two-way advocacy uh either knows john or is is uh getting to know john he's um he's getting his name out there and, and doing some great stuff um but uh decoding firearms is a comprehensive guide to aid new shooters and veterans alike to get up to speed on the safe use of guns with over 115 illustrations and 266 pages of content this book is very comprehensive if you're interested in learning more about decoding firearms you can visit johnpetrolino.com slash decoding firearms and that is right there on the screen for you if you wanted to pause that um decoding firearms is available for Available for sale on Amazon as a paperback or a full-color Kindle version. Be sure to pick up a few copies for your friends and family members that want to get into the shooting world. Decoding Firearms, get yours today. All right. Um, Oh, sweet. Cool. My, uh, My beautiful bride put that up there, and I'm going to put this one in there as well for decoding firearms if anybody wants to go find that book it's right there um right there in the comments too a link to that so uh and some of these other books we will um what was the what was the first book that you guys were, were mentioning um the young lady or the lady had written yeah, I said, 
uh, in a messenger uh, through Facebook, but it's a uh, warrior, how to support those who protect us by Dr. Shauna Springer. That's the one that I would like to get my hands on and, and check that one out too. So, um, all right, we're going to give everybody a chance just to uh, have any closing thoughts and, um, and also we want to, to find out where people can, can find you. So, uh, we'll just kind of go, we've kind of got a little bit of a Brady bunch looking screen tonight. We're going to start down at the bottom and work our way back up, uh, a little bit. So Jake, you're Alice tonight, I think, isn't Alice the one that was in the middle. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, everybody's pointing at each other. Um, okay. So, uh, Squib, we'll start with you. Um, any closing thoughts that you want to have and then where can people find you if they want to hear what you have to say? And nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Uh, I keep telling you that's probably, not true. Eh, whatever. Uh, probably not a good idea to jump on the show tonight, but uh, still, I do appreciate the invite. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you were here. Um, all right. Um, actually, we'll save you guys for last. So we'll move over to Ghost. Where can people find you? And, uh, and any other closing thoughts that you want to throw out there? Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I don't want to plug anything. I'll just say this. If you're out there and you don't know that there's a light, you can't find the light. First of all, call myself 24 seven text, email, call Jake, call Mike. I know these guys personally, they'll take your call email any time of the day. They're awesome people. Understand two things. One, I say this in every single podcast. One, you're not alone. And two, the world is a much better place with you in it. The problem that we have is that most of the people that are struggling with mental health don't know they have a problem. So if you have a loved one, look for tell signs that something's off with this person and confront them. Talk to them, not in a negative way. Talk to them as quickly as you can and try to get them as help as quickly as you can. Because most of the time they don't realize that something's off. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thanks for being here. All right, Pat, we'll move to you. Where can people find what you have to say? Where can people find the videos for the uh, the Max 9 and the Shield Plus? <laughs> uh, well, you can find me on YouTube. Um, I do have both of those particular uh, videos up. Uh, I have me shooting both of the guns, and my wife has finally decided to come on camera and Kudos to her because uh, she's a little camera shy. So, uh, yeah, she's on there, too, reviewing both of the guns. And uh, we're going to do a sit-down review of both of them, pros and cons on both. But, yeah, you can find me on YouTube at Pat Hirsch. And, uh, yeah, again, uh, thanks for having me on tonight, John, as always. And uh, thanks for our guests and being on is- here tonight. It was a very, very good conversation tonight. Just some Good stuff got said here tonight. I think for sure. So too. And, sure. and Hirsch is spelled H-E-R-S-H. Yes, It'll sir, it looking is. For, looking for Pat's channel there on YouTube. And can I just say that it is kind of nice finally to see somebody who's actually nice looking on your videos because normally when I see somebody that's not you, he looks just like you. And so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> oh, and... I was supposed to tell uh, Jake, if you do come to Nebraska, my wife is extending the gratitude and she will make you Nebraska style country biscuits and gravy too. On top of that. Well, I'm just going to drive on down to Webster County is what I'm going to do. You're all welcome. You're all welcome. (laughs) Nebraska. Michael, go squib. Everybody, you're all welcome. Anytime. (laughs) All right, Pat. Thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for letting him play with us, Ashley. (laughs) 
She says you're welcome. All right. Uh, defense <laughs> Dad, where can people find what you have to say, including that new video where you whooped up on the child? Um, I'm mainly on YouTube, but I am over on Odyssey and Patreon, uh, a little bit on Instagram. Um, but yeah, check out the video. It was I did something today, just not a gun review, not a not a gear review, just something that shows how you can do two activities with your family and be a positive um, situation. It doesn't always have to be doom and gloom. And I wanted to thank Jake and Michael for being on here. I, I appreciate the perspective they put on on it for people because um, it is a very serious subject. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's one that doesn't get talked about enough, and that's why there is a WTTA because we want to. Like you said, we want to be able to, to talk about some of this stuff like it's the common cold and, and not have it be stigmatized, right? So, um, all right, Mike, if people want to find uh, you and find out all of the things that you're doing, where can they look for you? Uh, just you can go online, WTTA.org. Uh, you know, the, the email's on there, admin at, at walktotalkamerica.org or WTTA.org or social media at walktotalkus. Um, I have my own social media. I'm always at, at Michael underscore Sedini. Uh, you know, if you have, you want to reach out, I, I always respond. So, and I can vouch for that. He always does, even though, um, you're very, very busy. Anytime I've got a question for you or an invite or whatever, or I'm looking for somebody to invite, uh, you've been a, you've been a help on more than one occasion. So I appreciate you coming here tonight and I appreciate you bringing Jake with you. Uh, Jake, and I know you've said this a couple of times and we've put a few uh, links up there um, in the chat too, but one last time, uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you or just find more of what you have to say? Zephyrwellness.org is the company website, Z-E-P-H-Y-R. Um, I'm particularly proud of our YouTube channel. It's got one guy on it. It's me, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to push stuff out there for free so people can help themselves. Um, I also have another mental health podcast I've been doing for three and a half or so years called Noggin Notes, and you can find Noggin Notes anywhere podcasts are found. It's just it's strictly mental health, and I have guests from all over the world, and I'm actually really proud that um, there are now two other Noggin Notes podcasts: one in Cambodia and one in Africa. Uh, they, they cover all sorts of stuff. So I've, I've had international discussions and it's really, it's really edifying. Um, I'm on Twitter personally at Jake Wisk, J-A-K-E-W-I-S-K. And, um, that's, that's pretty much where you can find me. I don't, I don't interact a whole lot unless it's through, through my company's, uh, you know, uh, chat channels. Um, my, my closing comment is that, um, to something that was mentioned earlier, I think defense Deb brought it up. Uh, we, we don't need to level up. And I say this, it almost sounds heretical. I say this frequently. We don't need to level up to professional counseling as often as I think, uh, we're, we're maybe pushed to. Uh, and so even though I, you know, hold a license and I own a company that does exactly that, somehow humanity made it this far without our profession, which has only been around for about hundred, 120 years. And, uh, and I think we need to press in on our own communities and our own uh, loved ones and our own neighbors and utilize them, right? Get feedback, be vulnerable and receive that and, and augment and grow intimately with one another because uh, professional therapy is great and all, but it, but I liken it to going to the mechanic. You know, if you can fix your own car and, uh, you know, change your own oil and oil filter and air filter and cabin filter, you don't necessarily need to pay somebody to do it. And, and I think that that doesn't get said a lot. And so part of what I, what I try to do is just push information out into the public sphere so that people can return to their own innate ability to heal. 
And uh, with that being said, I love being a guest, and it's really, it's really humbling. It's it's an honor. I'm I'm flattered to to be here. I always end up pinching myself when I show up on somebody else's interview or podcast or show because it's like, when did this happen? When did I become the expert? <laughs> like, uh, so thank you for that, and and I'm really proud to be able to share what I what I have to share. So I appreciate all you guys, everything that you're doing to you know continue to advance. Uh, knowledge and protect rights. And um, I'm very humbled. No. And we're, we're very, very proud to have you with us um, real quick before I forget to, I do want to plug um, they're They're not, it's not live yet. We can't uh, send people off to order these yet, but NFOA has got a line of some hats, some t-shirts are coming and some quarter zip pullovers are coming. Uh, so anybody that wants to, uh, um, check that out. There's a post up on the NFOA Facebook page right now um, with some images of this stuff. But I wanted to show this off because uh, because I've got a podcast, I get one of these early, um, so uh, so I can show this baby off. So um, wanted to uh, hawk a little NFOA stuff tonight as well. Okay, real quick before we go, we've got the list, and I tell you what, I have had nights where um, we filled up a whole page with names. The list isn't very long tonight, but what we lacked in quantity, we more than made up for in quality. And I didn't put a whole lot of the, the comments up on the screen, but there was some good discussion going out there, uh, going on out there in, in the, uh, the chat as well. Um, over on the Facebook side, it looked like we had Eddie and Greg um, were the two that were commenting on, on the live discussion there. On YouTube, we had Grim90, Pat Hirsch, MKJO, DJ Playnice, also a Nebraskan, uh, Defense Dad, G23, Blitz, uh, Mike, not the one in our panel, uh, two live move guitar, man, Pete, seven wonders, Patriot in the dark, Vanessa kitty, ghost tactical, uh, excuse me, Vash matrix, Keith Gregory, Ozzy Osbourne, agorizer, Tim Foley. I saw a guy that comments out there. Um, so again, if you, uh, if you, if you don't make the comments, we don't see you, we don't know you're out there. So go ahead and, and uh, light it up next week, uh, out in the comments. It's a little late now to get it in. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, um, Mike and Jake before, before you guys log off, um, once we're no longer live, I've got, um, a couple things I want to bounce off of you real quick. So if, if you guys aren't in a huge hurry, don't, don't sign out yet. Um, on behalf of squib and ghost on behalf of Pat and defense dad. And of course, Mike and Jake and walk the talk America and Sandhill sweetheart and myself, thank all of you for for watching for listening um we will make sure that we get some of these uh uh links put over into the description as well for those of you who are joining us after the fact on the replay and and didn't get to uh catch them in the live chat there um i don't think i've forgotten anything if we didn't have you guys out there watching and listening we wouldn't have a reason to do this so i know i say that every time but it's only because you are the most important part of any of these podcasts without the audience where we just as well have a zoom call and not, not put it out on the, on the web there. So uh, thanks everybody for, for joining us again tonight. God bless you. We love you. It's that time now though. Get off 